Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet featuring articles on writing, the craft of writing, business of writing, but also, even more so, the writing life, what it takes to be a writer, to live this life, this creative life, face the blank page. You gotta, gotta. It's not easy all the time. No, it's not. That's why I also write a daily or thrice weekly column about that very thing, the intersection of our everyday lives, creativity, spirituality. It's all in there. We also do video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres, all kinds of writers. A month ago, it was Damon Swade, the president-elect of Romance Writers of America. This time, it's Donald Moss, the fabulous Donald Moss, who wrote Writing the Breakout Novel, wonderful literary agent, editor. He's all things publishing. Donald knows about it. It was a great conversation. Still there over at authormagazine.org. Check it out. Uh, We're also funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. As you know, we have a writers conference every year. Yes, we do. In September. It's always a big one. Lots of people come, lots of agents and editors. Now, we haven't picked out those agents and editors yet, but if you know you're going to come, you know you're going to be one of those people who's going to go to the conference, sign up now. It's a leap of faith special. You get $100 off, and you get two, two pitch blocks. Agents and editors you can try and pitch your book to. Only the people who do the leap of faith get two blocks. That's right. And they're filling up fast, those spots. We only give away so many. So do it now. If you know you're going, just do it. Believe in yourself. Go over to pnwa.org and sign up for it. Well, people, anything about me? Not really. Not really. Not much is going on with me right now. Coming up to the holidays. So that's kind of all that's happening. Things will happen in the – but who cares? Things are going to happen in the new year, and I'll tell you all about them when they do. In the meantime, let's talk about Peter Booth, my guest today. Peter is the Hafez scholar – is a Hafez scholar and – and co-author of Dante I. Hafez, and member of the D.C. Area Iranian Culture Association. He studied Sanskrit and sacred Indian texts at Georgetown University in his teens, received a B.A. in English and literature from Bard College, and attended Harvard Graduate School in Persian Language and Literature with Anna Marie Schimmel and Wheeler Thaxon. He then studied Persian literature at Ferdowsi University in Mashhad on a scholarship for none other than the Shah of Iran. And for 32 years, he lived in rural India, where he helped build water and electrical systems, roads, and other infrastructure. And through extensive afforestation and applied environmental technology, increased the area's average annual rainfall from 9 to 20 to over, excuse me, 20 inches. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. Can be done, people. He also contributed the translations to the just released yesterday, I believe, the Illuminated Hafez Love Poems for the Journey to Light. He's here with us today. Peter, how are you doing? Fine. How are you, Bill? Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. I'm doing great. I'm so uh, happy to have been introduced to the work of Hafez. I know Rumi pretty well, but for some reason... Totally unfamiliar with Hafez, but I like him now. I got to say, thanks to the Illuminated Hafez, wonderful collection, uh, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I want to start with you. Um, you were you were drawn to study Sanskrit and sacred Indian texts as a teenager. What what yes, about actually, that? I was I was one of uh, three people in my neighborhood that that was true of, and two what? have become great Sanskrit scholars. Weird. Okay, so I mean, I'm sorry, that's a little odd. 
that a teen, an American uh, teen person <laughs> living in Georgetown decides that that's something he wants to do. What drew you to that? Uh, I really can't young age. say, but I, I can't say this. I am from a family of American mystics for many mm. generations, and that doesn't mean that they were interested in mystical literature. It means that uh, they lived a life of service to other people. Okay. And, uh, of course, as you know, uh, especially in Midwestern America, that's pretty much the way people were brought up. You always thought of others right. first. You right. always tried to help others. You, you always uh, thought about your community, uh, so forth and so on. But what happened, uh, so many people in the affluent area where I was born and raised, uh-huh. got to the point where they did not know what the way forward was. Right. And and my parents were self-honest enough, although I don't think they ever fully verbalized it to themselves or me, to not impose anything on me. Um, right. They, they, they actually didn't even want me to do well in school. They did not trust <laughs> the education system. Oh, and, wow. okay. And, and uh, so... Uh, their message to me, which again was more intuitive than than verbal, was, "We haven't found it. We right. want you to try. We want you to try and find it." And they really didn't know what it was, but they didn't know right. they did know what it wasn't. Right. Which is right. Which as far as as far as they had gotten in life, and right. so I, um, I was like my friend Graham Schweig, uh, was drawn to the literature of the East. I, my sister uh, somehow in high school got a, a book, the source book of Indian philosophy uh, published by Princeton University Press, and I started reading that when I was about 12, and I was really oh, taken wow. by the wow. concepts in there. And, and, I, I, uh, and, and I thought, I think these people have the answer. So I went down to Georgetown University, and there was this wonderful professor there, Shalagram Shukla, who was a professor of linguistics, but he uh, was a Sanskrit specialist, and he had no Sanskrit students. So, uh, you know, he he said, yeah, you want to learn Sanskrit, you know, come by whenever you want during my office hours. Free. So for about about two years, I did that. That is so cool. I'll bet. Well, your your mind was still still fertile enough that well maybe you just have a knack for language anyway. But I have a friend who's he's Korean American, but he spent a year in Paris living with his father was studying, and so in one year he learned he was seven. He learned he was became fluent in French because he was seven and he spent a year in Paris. I think the young mind soaks it up in that way, and it sounds like you were pretty hungry for it. Yeah, but I, I don't have a high language potential. I I just no? work really hard at. It. Oh yeah. Oh, no, there, okay. there are people like Wheeler Paxton, uh, the professor at Harvard, is probably uh, this age's greatest linguist. He can pick a language up in about a month. Okay. It's just it's just ridiculous. But but and, and also completely understand the grammar. Right. right. Uh, but but I, I'm not, and I have known a few unusual linguists, but I am I'm not in that category at all. All right. So you're studying Sanskrit. And sacred Indian texts. So you're already starting to get interested in the Eastern philosophy and in the spiritual uh, 
and the spiritual, however we want to define. Is that safe? You weren't just interested in the translation, but also the ideas behind these things, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And how would, okay, and let was, me ask you this. was the 60s. I mean, I was, you know, I, uh, to be honest, I, I was a hippie. And right. I, I pretty much, uh, like a lot of young people, and, and it's surprising how many young people have trouble with the school system. I literally could not go and sit in a classroom, especially right. in the spring. And right. I, I had a, 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 a counselor in junior high school who said, look, I know you don't want to be here. You just show up enough to get D's so you don't fail. And, really? and I did that. And then I, I, I was in high school for a short time, but I, I stopped going to high school. Wow. And, wow. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, I also am a herpetologist. And I, I would travel the country snake hunting. Oh, herpetologist, not herpetologist, herpetologist. So is that a, a snakeologist? That's correct. I have never heard the word for that. So you also were studying snakes. Okay, so you're a hippie who didn't like school, who loved Sanskrit and snakes, and was looking for the answer, as a lot of people were in the sixties, and a lot of people still are, quite frankly. That search hasn't stopped. And yeah, what no, we're all doing that. Of course, of course. As well, we should. And so, uh, your what is it? If you had to describe what it was about Eastern philosophy, spirituality in particular, that drew you to it, what is it? Is it too too big a concept to to whittle down, or is there something specific you can you can kind of put your finger on? What aspect of it? Well, well yeah. Well, I I mean, uh, you know, to 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 be just you know straightforward, I uh, heard about the life and teachings of Meher Baba, who you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and became very became very drawn to those, and uh, eventually, uh, what I did was I, because I never uh, graduated from high school, I took a GED and I went to a community college here in Maryland, and uh, I visited a friend at Bard College and yeah. talked my way into Bard College, <laughs> and then uh, also talked my way into Harvard Graduate School. No, that's pretty good. You must be a good talker. Well, no. See, if you're if you're out on the lamb, as it were, as a teenager, you have to learn how to talk anybody in or out of anything because they're true and officers. Right. They're yeah. Oh, oh, you were just so, a little so radical. So you developed this whole other set of skills. You see. Yeah. So the other kids, you know, they would be taking like the SATs. Is it B or is it D? And for me, it's like, you don't do that. You just got to learn how to talk people into stuff. That is so cool. And so, all right, so you're at Bard College, and you studied literature and, like, poetry, right? Poetry, yeah. You know, maybe some of your listeners are familiar with Robert Kelly, maybe, uh, the outstanding American poet. I studied with Robert Kelly, and I studied with this wonderful Irish poet, Richard Murphy. And, and, and when I got when I got to Bard, they realized that I wasn't quite up to snuff, so right. they set up individual writing tutorials for me. Really? Oh, they were oh absolutely nice. See, then when I got to Harvard, see, Bard was a fantastic place. That the, the the when I was there, the discipline was amazing. These right. people wanted were serious writers, artists, actors, actresses. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was musicians. It was a very serious place, and they had excellent people there, and they they would really work with you. It was a great place. So when I got to Harvard, I thought, wow, Harvard's going to be you know even more like Bard. It wasn't right. right. No, yeah, and very yeah. few people, e- even the professors, knew how to write well. 
Really? That was your experience. Oh, yeah, no, 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 writing's a whole different it's a whole different skill and a whole different talent well, than, than than academic studies and as scholasticism. Yes, well, academic writing can be some of the worst writing I've ever read. What I would I don't like to use the word bad writing, but God, some academic stuff is so they so have created their own dense vernacular and it so lacks clarity that uh and I think it's a consequence of writing for a very small insular community sometimes. Um, exactly. You know, that I just don't, that, that I, in fact, when I was a freshman in college, I went, I was handed a book about how the, uh, the, the spur created the ended the dark ages or something. I, and I read it and I actually went to my professor and I was like, cause I was a young writer and I was like, this isn't good writing. Why'd you give us this stupid book? I was ballsy on my part. I got to say, anyway. Okay. So there you were at Harvard. You go graduate from Harvard. And when did you get no, no, I don't graduate from Harvard. What, what happened was, oh, you don't. And just while we're on the, 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 the topic, um, there's no reason why good scholarship and good, uh, of create not creative writing, but, but just but good clear. writing cannot go hand in hand. Of course, inspired of course. writing, articulate yes. writing, and and that's what that's the way it used to be. If you read E. G. Brown's History of Persian Literature, which was written in the 1800s, the writing is magnificent. Oh. And, and it, but at the same time, he knows everything about his subject matter. Right. And, right. and that has all been paired off of the academic writing of today, and most of what I read anyway. Yeah. Well, so all right, no, so but you I don't. Did, grad- I, was, I was at. I was at. I was at in the graduate school for a year. I took the fourth year Rumi course that year, and and I, I realized that in terms of reading the poetry, my professors uh, were not trained to do that. Right. They so just, I realized what were they the doing thing then? I really need to do is learn the language, so I want to go to Iran. So I wrote to the Iranian government, oh. and the Shah gave me a scholarship. Oh, so you want to read it in the – got to go to the original, and you got to really to, – to get it, you got to read the, the real deal. You can't well, – Well, there's no other way. I mean, uh, right. especially uh, Rumi and Hafez are great geniuses, and, and so you would imagine – I mean, use a mosaic as a comparison. Everything has been chosen precisely. Right. And, and to, to really come to grips with the way they are, not just what they're saying, but the way that they're saying what they're saying, you, you have to immerse yourself in the language. You know, poetry is really, uh, it's fun. When people think of poetic writing, it's often in the cliche of it is sort of flowery and elaborate writing, but, Poetry of all the forms is the most requires, I think, some of the most discipline because it's you have the least amount to work with. You have to say the most with the least, say the most with the really with the least. It's all about the open space. And it strikes me that in having to translate poetry and not just from like French to English or German to English, where at least because they're in the romances or they're in the same sort of family of language, maybe it might be. A little easier, but you're going from. Is it was did Hafez write in Sanskrit or fart? Well, I don't. What did no, he no, write he, in? he wrote in he wrote in Persian. And the the, the I mean, if, if you want to talk about it, the difference between the Persian literary tradition and the Sanskrit Vedic literary tradition, I can do that a bit. Well, I, probably going to lose yeah, me. Yeah, I know, half I know. My own. <laughs> but let's, but like in terms of the difference in the language between Persian writing, per, the Persian language and English, say would it would seem significant, yeah. Yeah, well, see, this, this is just to, to, to give you uh, an overview of one main point. 
what has happened in English literature is you have had the flowering of different movements like the metaphysicals, the romantics, right, uh, and 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 the, the 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 vocabulary, the tropes are developed, and then they die out. Right. Right, and, and then yeah. uh, you know, and then another movement comes along. That didn't happen That's in right. Persian. In Persian, for over four hundred years, they developed a symbolic vocabulary to frame allegories, which would be able to impart spiritual experience. That is their art. Wow, and so it's and it stayed consistent for four hundred years. Starting when? Well, it was it was it was wrought over and over and over again by these fantastic geniuses. Uh huh. And but starting and, and, when? And when they, and they 400 would, years from like yeah, when to Oh yeah, when? It's, it's more than 400 years. Okay. And and it was it was it was not just Iran. It was sort of pan. It was Iran. It was Afghanistan. It it you know it went into Basra in uh, in Iraq. It it right. was. Uh, uh, a, a huge area of of lots of writers contributing to developing this very rich symbolic palette. And what drew you to Hafez in particular? Well, uh, Meher Baba said that Hafez was a God-realized poet. That means he had become one with the source of creation and all existence, and okay. that he is the greatest writer in history. And in uh -huh. fact, Hafez, without doubt, is the most influ influential writer to ever take up a pen. And 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 you're basing that on what do you base that on? Uh, okay, based fine. On well, uh, for example, Pushkin was inspired by Hafez. Goethe wrote a divan dedicated, means a collection of poems dedicated to Hafez. Right. Emerson wrote his famous poem Bacchus, inspired by Hafez. Wow. Hafez's poetry went down into the Indian subcontinent and flooded it and flooded Urdu literature and the entire Indian uh, devotional tradition. There's no one who wow. has even compares with that. And today, his, his poetry, you know, you think of Dante in the vernacular and the beginning right. of development of that. Right. Hafez's, Hafez's couplets in his poems are so universal and still have the power to touch to such an extent that everybody in Iran, literate, illiterate, anybody, quotes Hafez. Well, you know what? Yesterday, for the first time, I did too. I tweeted a quote from it. and it, So my first attribution to Hafez was yesterday, thanks to you. Maybe it was your translation. Um, okay, but that's interesting. So you're talking about his influence and that dream to you, but you know, the Beatles, I did love the Beatles, like a lot of people. They were incredibly influential, but there was, an, I, I loved, most of all, I did love their influence. I did love their positive influence, but what their music spoke to me about the relationship of love and creativity and authenticity, it, it just spoke out to me. So aside from his influence, what about the work itself? Just if you didn't know well, anything about the, the guy who wrote what, it. Yeah, no, this is what he's done. He has written a body of literature that has the power to touch you wherever you are. Again, okay. if you're illiterate, if you're, if you're very worldly-minded, if you happen to be spiritually inclined, it doesn't matter. And it awakens something in you. Now, you were talking about you know, literature and spirituality. He is the master of, of that genre. 
and, and, and you think, wow, that is so beautiful. And then you look at it more closely and something else happens. And you go, wow, that's amazing. And then you look at right. it more closely and there's another revelation. Yeah. And you go, God, that's, but he's figured. And then, and, and it goes on and on and on. And every time I have read his collected works probably 10 times over, it's 500 mm-hmm. poems. Every okay. time I pick up Hoppe's, I see something new. I have, if you want to ascribe that word to it, another revelation. Right. Well, that's good. And, and, and well, every time it's fresh, it's new, and you go, oh, my God, look what he's doing. Right. And, and, and the Illuminated Hafez, the book that just came out from Sounds True, big, beautiful book. Uh, it's wonderfully put together, both visually uh, and the translations. I assume the translations are strong. I certainly connected to them. Um, the poems I was reading, what stuck out to me is the relationship he found between sp- uh, romantic love, sensual love, and spiritual love, that he wrote about <laughs> them all wound up together. And, you really, they, and I've always felt this to be true myself in my own just experience. But I thought he did a wonderful job of capturing both those things together. Uh, that, that's what he's known for. And yeah. there's a, a canon that he is, he is the master of ambiguity in that he writes equally of a worldly love. At the same time, he writes of a spiritual, divine, right. Right. eternal love. But yeah. uh, I have shown in one of my other books, uh, through a close reading of Hoppus, that that's not what he's doing. What he's doing, and that's what he, what he's doing is he is writing so beautifully about romantic love, and using that almost as bait to gradually draw us to the eternal love that all of us are. Right. Yeah, he's not right. he's not supporting worldly love at the same time he is supporting divine love, especially when he says that all of creation is nothing but a mirage, and in fact right. does not exist. Right, oh, it's good stuff, and uh, and I you know it struck me well no never mind um so all right so, th- so this uh, was uh, a passion project of a number of people. Uh, you're certainly chief among them. And did you, when you took it on, because you were one of the translators, um, were you excited by that? Are, were you a little intimidated by it? Or were you just ready to go, ready to, chomping at the bit to be able to open up more people to Hafez's work? Well, well no, yeah, I mean, your, your perspective is the right one. That's not the one I had. Uh, Nancy Barton <laughs> contacted, contacted me and asked me to contribute. I told her no. I said, I, I really, I, I, I really uh, don't want to get involved with people who do not know the language and whose work is not true to uh, the ori- or whose work doesn't try to be as true as possible to the original. Right. And uh, she pestered me. By the way, I, I've always admired Robert Bly's work. I think yeah. he's, a, he's a very talented poet, and I and I also think Coleman Barch is a very talented poet. Uh, right. It's it's just that they don't know the language, and I I felt that, and not being immersed in it, there were a lot of things that they just couldn't comprehend it, and that's a bit of my scholastic snobbishness. I'm aware of that. Right. But but uh, so I I actually what happened was I had been out in Wabash, Indiana, and uh, where my father had built and owned a radio station when I was a kid. 
and and I was back out there uh, a, a couple years ago, and I thought, wow, this place, the Midwest, has such a wonderful, wholesome feel about it. I thought, uh-huh. I wonder if there's anybody here who has any real inclination towards genuine spirituality, especially Eastern spirituality. So right. Nancy Barton uh, pestered me and pestered me, and I finally said, where are you from? And she said, Wabash, Indiana. No, kidding. I said, really? I said, fine, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Uh, that is so funny. And, and so, okay, so you started doing it. And, you know, look, I, I think the art of translation, I speak one language that's English. I'm still learning it. And so I do the best I can. But, you know, the art of translation to me seems such, such an unusual thing because you're having to create poetry based on someone else's part because you can't, there's never an exact translation, um, but you have to capture what I think of as the fertile open space that all poetry is trying to create, but into a different, to different, different language. And so it seems like you're writing all over again, even though, although you want to be, someone like yourself has got to be one, want to be as absolutely faithful as possible. So how do you balance that? The, the, you okay, have well, to no, this is what I, it's a right? very good question. So it's an excellent yep. question. This is what I do again. Hoppe's, if if he is a God-realized poetic genius, his poetry is revelatory, and indeed it is, and it's known for that. He's known as Lathan al-Ghayb, the tongue of the hidden mysteries. That's his appellation in Iran. Right. And so, so, so what happens is, so you, you, you take a poem, and you look at it, and you decide, I am not going to add anything. I'm not going to take right. anything off in terms, I'm just going to look at this and read it over and over and over again. And suddenly, it will hit you how to frame it in English. Really? That's, so you actually take an inspired approach to the translation, a much more intuitive approach almost than intellectual. Well, no, it, but, but it is exactly literal. Nothing has changed in terms right. of the basic meanings, the, the, the words, the symbols, the truth. Right. No, I understand that. Yeah. But in terms of yeah. your route to in terms of your route to finding the words, you're taking a more what you're use, what your language you're using to describe your process sounds much like the, the 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 language I would use to describe my own in terms of writing something from scratch, so to speak. That there's a waiting and while I'm not rereading anything, I'm sitting with something and sitting with something, and then the words present themselves. Exactly. That that's, that's, exact, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly how yeah. it happens. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And, and then you go, think wow, of, this, this is it. You know, this is, right. well, for me it is. I mean, somebody else might say this is not uh, so yeah, good, I'll, but, I, you know, yeah. I think this is, this is great. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting to me because I would have thought that trans, I would have inter, I would have thought of translation as more intellectual, more almost mechanical, but of course, language is language, creation is great. That's so interesting. Well, Peter. Well, well, here, let me give you an example of one of the things that okay. I do. I, sure. I, I, I use 600 years of scholarship. I have all these copies of Hafez's selected works out in front of me, and I also uh-huh. look up all the words in a number of dictionaries, and I, I found something like this. He has a couplet. Uh, Although I was drowned in a sea of sin... When I became acquainted with you, I was saved. I'll okay. say it again. Although sure. I was drowned in a sea of sin, when I became acquainted with you, I was saved. Now, the verb for acquainted and the verb 
sports as swim have the same root. Oh, interesting. Really? Yeah. So, 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 so this is this is his genius. And then you begin to see things like that, and you go, "Wow, that's amazing!" Right. Yeah, and, and then you that's realize so cool. though, that you have scholarship and 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 being very particular about everything. All that has to be done before you begin to contemplate right. how you're going to put it into English. Oh, uh, it's the old tip of the iceberg metaphor. The author <laughs> shows only the tip of the iceberg of what they're actually. Know. Well, all right, Peter. You're an interesting guy. This is an interesting book. If people want to learn more about you, is that going to be easy or hard for them to do? Is there any way they can discover more about you and your work? Do you have a website? Uh, no, I I, uh, I sort of uh, uh, stay in the background a, a bit. But, but first, let me just say that uh, the, the translations in this book from all of the translations actually are quite good. If good. someone wants to buy a book and really read – Good translations of Hafez in English. This is the book. And I should say to our listeners, it's a beautiful book, too, because they gave each poem its own page. I believe every poem got its own page or very close to it, and so they illustrated it. it I thought it came together beautifully. So congratulations to the whole team that was behind this book. I know it was a lot of people. Um, and to you for your work on it. I hope you're pleased with it. I hope you're happy with it. I am happy. I'm very happy with how it came out, and I'm I'm very happy that I got involved. And, and you, you know, the, uh, let me say one more thing for your listeners. I I know the Iranian people really well. They're wonderful people. Don't don't judge them by this right. political stuff. They're wonderful right, right. people. They admire our values. They have they have their 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 culture is matchless. Their literature is matchless, and uh, I I hope that I I. I want to build bridges between cultures uh, right. because you know if you watch movies in 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 persian in hindi whatever you'll find the values are almost always the same right it's true and, and, and we we really are we really are one people and I, I really hope that this book would would uh build bridges and and uh and i love the iranian people they've been unbelievably kind to me well, I think poetry is a great way to build that bridge. I think the arts is a great way to build that bridge because the best poetry, I think, always speaks to something universal, something that it goes through all humanity. Certainly Hafez's work does that. And uh, I congratulate you on, on translating it so people who don't speak Persian can uh, experience it too. Well done. Well done indeed. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Well, good luck with it, Peter, as you spread the word. Uh, and um, again, uh, so if it's, and so the, it's the illuminated Hafez love poems for the journey to light. Peter, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Build some bridges, people. It's true. Think about it. A book is like a bridge. I imagine it in my mind. Put it down on the page. Somebody else reads it. And that book is like a bridge. It moves from one mind to another, one mind to another. You need your imagination to read something. I need my imagination to read something. Yes, we do. It's good stuff. I'm going to be back again next week. It's a very interesting guy named Carmen Gentile who had been a, was wounded in Af Afghanistan as a journalist and wrote all about it, wonderful memoir. Until then, I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Hope you're feeling well, R.J. Until then, everybody, go find something you love and do it.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.